Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going for watermelon, so I don't know what you're doing the rest of the service. <laughs> no, My name is Rick, if I've not met you before. I'm the campus pastor here. Really excited that you have chosen to push through the snow and get here. Listen, there's about double from last week. Yeah, there was, it was, we had lots of arm room last week for those of us who were here. <laughs> it was negative 30 and there was wind blowing. And we, hope, here's, we actually had some interesting numbers last week. We had about, in all of our campuses, we had about 50% attendance that was regular in all of our regular um, attendance patterns. But on our online campus, we had 200% of our regular attendance. So we know that many of you, who chose to join us online last week? Yeah, we had a lot of people who went, like, I am not getting out of bed, I am choosing online, so thank you. That's why, that's one of the reasons we have it there, is when, not for when you're lazy and don't want to get out of bed, but for when it's, when you're sick and when you're cold and when, uh, and when you're not able to get out and join us, that's why we have that option available. And some people use it when they're traveling, and some people use it to introduce a friend to church. And so thank you for joining us online uh, last week. Well, welcome to week two of winter in Canada. Anybody, uh, are you enjoying it? I know, that it, I know that maybe the calendar said that uh, winter hit on December the 21st, but clearly in Ontario it landed like last Friday, and, and here we are now. I hate winter. Winter is cold. Snow is the absolute worst. And Actually, the, the thing that I hate most about winter is driving. Anybody hate, hate winter driving? I was just talking with a couple that just walked in, and they did two, do you do two 360s? And, or just one 360 and one, yeah, they're all like, who did that? <laughs> they're safe, their car's all right, but did anybody else, you had a little slip up on the way in, like maybe not an accident, yeah, our wheels were dr- spinning all, all over the place, and you're out there, and you're out there like, like white knuckled, getting, getting nervous about how can we, uh, how can we make sure that we get where we need to be safely, and I, there are some people that I don't love driving behind in winter. Are you one of the people that I would not like to drive behind in winter? You're going 35, you're four ways on, and you're like, I, I don't feel like I should be out here, but I'm going to be out here because I need to get somewhere. And like, Just call an Uber and get somewhere. There's all, there, but then you're, I may be one of the people that you don't like driving behind because you're looking at me, listen, psycho, slow down. It's, it's really, it's not safe out there. You need to bring it down a little bit. There's all kinds of winter driving experiences, but here's, My question for us all, is it your tradition to get into the car and pray and just say, Lord, keep the wheels on the road? Who prays when they get into the car before they go on a trip? We have a prayer. Okay, so we have lots of people that pray. Who doesn't pray? That doesn't even come. You're like, turn the heat on. I never pray before I get in. Okay, so I did did a little... I did a little internet research, and there are, on average, 450 car accidents in Canada every day. In the winter, there's more than 450 car accidents. So here's my question. Did the people who got into little fender benders today or spin out, did they not pray hard enough for God to keep their wheels on the road this morning? What do we think? Like, did they, are they bad prayers? I don't want to point, Joash and Laura, I don't want to point any, anybody out, but like, in your opinion, in your personal opinion, are you just bad, or, or, or the people who spun out, are, are they just bad prayers? Oh, you didn't pray. Okay, there we go. If you had have prayed, Murray would have been safe. But yeah, apparently... <laughs> 
So, so the, question, the question is, would Jesus get into the car with you if you're saying it's snowing and it's cold, but I need to get somewhere. I don't have winter tires on, but I'm getting, I'm getting into this car and I'm just shooting down the road. Would he get into the car with you or would he say, stop, we need to talk to the father first. And if he says we can go, then we could go. We're in week four of our prayer series If you're just joining us for the first week, this is our series called Breakthrough, and we're talking about how we can experience new breakthroughs in our lives when it comes to the the issue of of prayer. And we've been looking at the the teachings throughout the Bible about how Jesus and how how the other writers of, of the scriptures taught us to pray. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the models of prayer. We've been looking at the teachings of prayer. Well, this week, we're gonna flip it a little bit. And we're going to look at a bit of a self-examination look at how we approach God when something big happens in our lives. When we walk into one of those stormy seasons of life and we just call out to God naturally in prayer. And it's when you feel like your life is kind of skidding off the road and you're worried about that it's going into the ditch. And the question should be is at that moment should you be crying out for Jesus and saying, Lord, I, I need to find you now. Or should you be turning around and looking, I wonder if he's in the car with me, skidding off into the ditch with me. And I say that very specifically because we're going to go into a story where this happened in the lives of the disciples. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Just leave it open in Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27 is going to be our key text. We're going to be moving in and out of that, of that passage today. And we're going to look at, would Jesus get into that car? Would Jesus get into the boat when the storm's about to hit and life's about to get Rocky, and I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. If you're uh, selecting a a translation uh, on your phone or on your iPad this morning, so here we go: Matthew 8, 23 through 27, leaning into a storm of life. Here's what it says: Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. He's in the boat. He's asleep. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Let's just pause and pray. Lord, I thank you that your, your scripture brings truth and your scripture brings life. And we can have a little fun about talking about should we be praying before we get into the car and driving. And Lord, we actually see both of those things modeled for us there. But what I would pray is that we wouldn't focus on the details this morning, but we would focus on you, Lord. And we would ask that you would help us understand our reliance on you and our relationship with you when we walk into some of the storms of life. So Jesus teaches something that we didn't know about you and how you function and how we're to relate to you. Um, before we got into this, this study this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So this morning, what we're going to do is, is endeavor to structure our prayer lives like we would see modeled for us, not only in the few weeks that we've been leading up to this, but, but also in, in this story here. And so what we've been learning is about we, uh, we were designed to pray for his kingdom, not, not our kingdom. We were designed to pray for the things 
that God would be noticing and how the Holy Spirit would alert us to different things all around in our, in our lives, we would say, we, we would want to be praying for, here's what the Holy Spirit brought to light. Here's what the Holy Spirit is seeing. I should be praying for those things, not praying through the view of my own lens. So we, we can't just forget that teaching. We need to apply that teaching as we come to a story like this. And when we come into the seasons of storms in our lives, we need to um, apply these things. So we're going to have four points this morning about how we should pray when life feels a little bit stormy. So if you're taking notes, they're either on your app or they're in the bulletin. Here's the first one, is that following God does not preclude the possibility of facing storms. Important perspective right off the bat is that Jesus was in the boat. And Aaron, can we, can we throw that on screen? That following God does not preclude the possibility of facing a storm. The important perspective is that Jesus was in the boat. For, for anyone who has the theology that, that Jesus should make life easier, and no, go, Aaron, can we go back to this, that, just that first point, just for people who are taking notes. Um, for anyone who has a theology that people should make life easier, this puts that to rest. Verse 23 and 24 details really uh, shows us that, that Jesus purposefully gets into the boat to go across with the disciples, and then the storm blows up. Now, if you've ever traveled to Israel, or you've ever, or you've at least done some study on the region where most of Jesus' teachings took place, and most of Jesus' life took place, is in this region of Galilee, and what you'll see is that it's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's actually a lake, and it's not that big. It is the largest fresh, it is the largest lake in, in Israel, but it's only about 21 kilometers long, about 10 to 13 kilometers wide. So if, if we were going to put it somewhere like on Lake Ontario, it would start in Oakville and it would almost stretch through all of Mississauga and it would be about 10 kilometers out into the lake. So not a very big lake. You can see land from, from everywhere, but back in those days, the, the boats would have been a little bit smaller. They were they probably an average fishing boat would have been about um, 10 meters long. We saw some replica boats when we were over there touring. And here's a, th- this is actually a picture of a beautiful sunset on the Sea of Galilee. But you can see the mountains a little bit in the background, and you can see some, see some shore there. So this could have been the picture of what would it look like when they decided to get into the boat. But then all of a sudden we see in the story that a big storm blows up. Now this next picture is not an actual picture of, uh, as uh, you can tell, it's, uh, this is an artist's render. We took some, we tried to find some pictures of a storm blowing up on the sea, but I would have thought that there would have been millions of pictures loaded online because I would figure any time that there's a, a storm that blows up on the Sea of Galilee, every Christian and tourist in the region would be like, oh, take a picture. This is exactly what it would have been like when Jesus is in the site. Like, wouldn't you assume? Yeah. Apparently not. Like, nobody, nobody's out there with the cameras taking pictures. But what we know about the region is that there's not a ton of storms that come in, but when they do blow in, given the mountainous, uh, mountainy regions and, ha- and the depth of the sea, it becomes a really violent storm. And it, it could be in a place where, yeah, they were fearful for their lives. The storm on this lake would never have been a surprise for the disciples. They, many of them were fishermen. They had all grown up in this region. A storm blowing up like that wouldn't have been a surprise for them, and nor should they be a surprise for us. Storms, regardless of if Jesus is in the car or in the boat beside us, should never be a surprise in our lives. Now, I'm not suggesting 
that we abandon the idea that we should be praying protection into our lives and around, around our, our families. Many of you are still going to get in the car every day and go, and go, Lord, just protect my car. Keep it on the road. Lord, protect my family. Lord, give us health. Lord, give us, uh, give us your guidance. Give us your protection. We're going to continue to pray that. And I'm not saying that he wouldn't, he wouldn't protect us, but we can't always draw a straight line that if we pray protection, God's always going to get it because Jesus gets into a boat when it's calm, and moments later, it becomes stormy. So when we see someone, you're going, through a time of, you're going through a time of challenge in your life, it's not because necessarily you haven't prayed about it. When you're going through a sickness, it's not because there's some specific issue, and if you could just go back, and some people would, would, would teach and say, if you can go back and find the specific sin that's been a generational sin that's passed down, and you can unlock and pray the right prayer, then God will release it. And we see, no, no, Jesus stepped into a storm purposefully to be there alongside the disciples in the storm, not take them out of the storm. Jesus was in the boat. And his design isn't to protect and remove every storm for, from our lives, but to give us purpose in the storm. We, many of you who have been following Jesus for a certain amount of times could say, I absolutely, I absolutely can empathize with this because I've gone through some of the most stormy seasons in my life and I've been, pr- I've been praying to God. We've been praying for healing. We've been praying for protection. We've been saying, God, would you, would you just make... Make this easy for me. God, just heal this. Lord, don't you see the need that I have? And nothing's been done. Which leads us to our second thought, is is that storms will test the limits of your personal capacity. So these were experienced sailors who had spent many years on the lake and probably had been in storms before while they were on the lake because they were common enough to blow up. So this was not the first time that they were sailing in the storm. There there were probably dozens of other storms that they had navigated out of. They they had been able to go, I know how to sail my way out of this. I know how to get our boat to safety. Remember, it's only 13 kilometers wide. So at the very most, they would have been six and a half kilometers from shore. They would have been half an hour, 45 minutes from getting to shore. So I'm going to guess that when this storm blew up, their first response was not to go and find Jesus and wake him up. These are, I, I'm going to guess that their first response was to go, let me do everything within my personal ability, let me use all of our resources, our knowledge, our skill, and try and row our way out of the storm. And then when they got to the point where there's no way that they were going to be able to do it on their own, they said, let me, let's go wake Jesus up because maybe he doesn't realize that there's this storm going on and we're all going to die. <laughs> But the funny thing is, is that, is that even when Jesus performs this miracle, look at verse 27. It says that the men were amazed and asked him, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They didn't think that he actually had the ability to stop the storm. They were shocked when he did it. So, so their first response wouldn't have been going to Jesus because they didn't actually believe that he had the capacity to do that. I find it sad that some of us, as people of faith, we will separate issues in our lives of ones where we will, where we will pray about it and ones where we don't need to pray about it. We need to apply the learning that we did in the past few weeks, is that, is that God should be speaking to us all the time. If, if we're a follower of Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit drew us, so the Holy Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit should be speaking to us all the time. We we should be every day in every moment regularly 
hearing his voice. So while we're driving in the car, while we're at work, when, when we're at home having dinner, we should be regularly hearing what the Holy Spirit would be saying into these given situations. So then even more so, while we're in the storm, we should be hearing what Jesus would be saying to us. A few years ago, and I've shared this with our, with our Portico family in, uh, in Streetsville, when um, our daughter Hope had this, had this issue with her hand that we didn't really know what was, what was going on. And there was some muscle cramping and spasming we had. We took, her to, we took her to medical doctors. We took her to naturopaths. We took her to all kinds of things trying to figure out what we had. Blood tests, x-rays, MR, all kinds of things going on. But we couldn't figure out why her hand was cramping every day. And, I, and it, it happened in January and then it continued to February, continued into March. And, and every night I would go and I would pray. And I said, Lord, we would just pray that you would, you would heal Hope's, Hope's hand. She was just having this massive pain. Can you imagine, imagine a foot cramp going every day? Like, you know that horrible pain that, that, that happens when you get a foot cramp? So imagine that in your hand happening every day, month after month after month, with nobody being able to give answers. And so we would, we, would, we, would, we would sit at night and we would give a muscle relaxant or give some kind of painkiller and, and then just pray, Lord, we pray that you would heal Hope's hand. And I remember her the one night, she was saying, Dad, are we really going to pray again tonight? This is, this is March. This is two months in. And she said, we pray every night and, and God doesn't seem to do anything. So why are we praying? That's a really deep and good question from an 11-year-old at the time. Right? <laughs> why are we praying when it doesn't do anything? And it was at that moment that I had, to do some, I had to do some reflecting. But it's because we believe that regardless of whether he's going to protect us from the storm or whether he's going to walk us through the storm, we believe that he's going to be there. And Lord, we just pray for peace, even though this time of suffering, even though this stormy season is surrounding us. And so we continue to pray and say, Lord, would you lead us through this? God, would, we trust that even though it doesn't feel calm, that you're going to be the peace that we need. When a storm comes into our lives, it tests our personal capacity. And we would say, I thought I knew how to manage my life and all of these situations. But what happens when we get to a point in our lives when life just feels too big and we don't have any answers anymore? And there's no greater feeling of failure than looking at your child saying, I have no idea how to help you right now. (laughs) You're looking at me for an answer, but I don't know how to help you. We gave her, we were giving her chicken soup. We were trying the magic oils that you can spray on and if you ingest them, they're going to help you. And like, we're fully down the oil pathway and we were going to put a, neck, a, a necklace of garlic on her if we had to. I don't know, we would, do, we would do whatever we had to because we wanted, we just wanted to fix it for her. But we knew we didn't have the answers anymore. You ever been in a situation like that? Where whether it's your own life or somebody that you care about, you look at them and you go, I, ju- I just want to fix it for you. But I, ca- I can't do it anymore. There's, there's nothing that I can do. Your reputation's taken a hit. Or somebody's health has taken a hit. Your finances have taken a hit. What happens to your faith when you walk into those kinds of situations? What kind of prayers do you begin to pray when you don't seem to have any solutions? Well, that brings us to our third thought is that storms will expose the true nature of your faith. Storms are going to come whether you follow Jesus or not. That's not why he came. He came to, he came to save our souls and give us eternity in, in heaven and give us his spirit. But he didn't come to take the storms away. Storms are going to stretch you sometimes so that you don't have any answers anymore. So the storm is going to expose the true nature of your faith. 
Do I trust that God is faithful and will carry me through every season? Do my prayers reflect a person of faith who, who, who would act and think and function that way? Or maybe are my prayers more like the prayers of the disciples that day? Listen to this prayer, I love it. In, starting in verse 24. But Jesus was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're gonna drown. <laughs> There's the prayer. Lord, you're just gonna let us die. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And then he replies, you of little faith, why, why are you so afraid? These guys, remember, were the best friends of Jesus God walking around on earth. They had seen him come through in every kind of situation. Chronologically, I want to walk you through what had already transpired with, with, with Jesus. If, if, if you're not aware of this, the Gospels are not written chronologically. So when you read stories, that, that may have happened six months earlier, and that may have happened before, and each one of the Gospels was written for a different purpose. Matthew, there is... Matthew is written specifically for, for the Jews and as an as a, as a, um, evidence that Jesus was, the, was Jesus was the Messiah. So Matthew ordered it in the way that would make logical sense to a Jewish reader looking back on it. There's not a lot of chronological stuff happening in Matthew. That's kind of all over the place. When you go to Luke, Luke is much more chronological because that, that was written to, it says this is to the Theophilus, the ruler, and it was given to people who weren't Jews and saying, let me give you a little more documented history of, how, of, of who Jesus was. Mark is, Mark is short bits of stories. There's some stuff that's way out of order, some stuff that is chronological. And John is written to demonstrate the love of Jesus. A whole lot of things are kind of all, all over the place, just pulled together to tell the story of Jesus' love. So as you're reading through the Gospels, you can't say, well, I read this in chapter six, so I know that in chapter seven, this happened afterwards. So I just want to walk you through where this event happened. Recently in, in the life, there was the healing of a leper. So somebody who had horrible sickness came to Jesus, this sickness that would have meant death, and then Jesus healed this person who had, the, who had this sickness, okay? And then there was Peter's mom who actually died, and then they went to Peter's house and they brought her back to life. There was a Roman centurion who came to find Jesus and, and say, if you say it, my servant will be healed. You don't even need to come to my house, but my servant will be healed. All of the, these things had just happened a few months prior to this event happening. There was, there was the widow's son who was, who was raised from the dead. And then, of course, there was everyone's favorite miracle, turning the water into wine. Like, like they could have woken Jesus up. Look at all the water crashing into our boat. Jesus, make this wine and just stop it. <laughs> we'll bottle it. We'll sell it. It'll be this, a brand new business venture. Just, you can do this. <laughs> all of this had happened prior to this experience. But the disciples' logic was that an unexpected storm while Jesus was asleep was going to be the one that would, nah, would get him. <laughs> he brought people back to life. He healed people from sickness. But man, the wind and the waves, that's the one that got him. That kind of derailed everything. Here's the bigger question for all of us. Do I trust that God has my life under control? Do I trust that even though I'm facing a storm, God hasn't abandoned me and God still has purpose for this? If God has designs for me to live, will I live? Or if I miss it, and if I don't wake him up, if I don't alert God to what's going on in my life, will he just, will, will he just forget about it? Will he just sleep right through it and go, oh, I'm so glad you alerted me, Rick, that you needed to pray. Like, I didn't realize that Hope was in horrible pain and her hand was cramping every day. Thank you for reminding me about what... 
do I have enough faith to believe that God was still present in that situation even though I hadn't seen anything happen? If God wants me to work at a certain job, will I get that job? Or do I have to beg and plead and do any kind of sacrifice? Lord, I, I, will, give up, I will give up chocolate. I will fast. I will, I, I, I will sacrifice a cat if that's what it takes. No, we're not sacrificing cats. <laughs> Lord, I will, I will do what you need me to do if you just give me what I want. Or do I believe that God is present in the middle of my joblessness or the middle of this desire for this job? Will, will fear take priority in my life? Fear of what I might miss out on, fear of what I'm going to go through, or will faith take priority in my life? Fear is based on what we will, might lose, and faith is strengthened by focusing on what I gain. In fact, sociologi- uh, sociologists have done this study is that we are, we, are more, uh, we are more fearful of what we might lose than we are excited about what we might gain meaning we protect what we have much harder than we would ever risk for something that might be good. They, they, they see this in business ventures. There would be something that would be so sure if you just took this step and said, no, you, could, you can open up your life to X, Y, and Z. You can make this investment, and it's actually a sure thing. But you're like, I'm so fearful of what it might cost me, of what I might lose, that I'm not going to do that. And we see this repeated in people's lives all the time, saying, I'm just going to protect what I have, I'm going to bury it in the sand as opposed to doing with something that might be beneficial for me. And Jesus rebuked the disciples in this moment for having too little faith because they were focused on what the storm might cost them. It might, it might cost them their lives. Really, that's what, they were, really what, that, that's what they were fearful of. Instead of being reminded what Jesus had already shown them and was beginning to teach them, no, like, your life is more than this. I care for the sparrows. I know the numbers of hair on your head. I'm not going to forget you in the middle of this storm. Their, their focus became on the strength of the boat and the skills that they had and really their skills that they lacked. But faith can be built when we begin to look beyond our own situations and trust that God is right there with us in the middle of every storm that we may face. And give us everything that we may need in that, in that moment. Last week, if you were with us or watching online, you heard Ariel and Joyce's testimony of, 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 of just going, I'm going to walk into an open-closed surgery where the doctor says, this is open-closed, you have no reason to live, right? And say, no, I'm going to hold on to faith. Because I, it doesn't matter what I'm facing. It doesn't matter what anyone would say. I'm going to trust that if I'm designed to live, God will heal me. And if God has designs to take me home, I'll go, I'll go have a much better life at home and Ariel will figure out life without me. Here, I <laughs> No, she didn't actually say that. that was <laughs> Do you trust in what is available to you and the promise of life that, that God has made for you more than you're afraid of what you might lose? A person's true nature is always revealed in crisis. Most of us are nice people when things are easy. It's when, it's when things get difficult that, that, that some, of, some of the ugliness begins the, some of the ugliness begins to show through. If you want a 50-50 draw, it's much easier to be generous, right? Like you're at a tea, oh, 50-50, you won $4,000. All right, drinks are on me everywhere. Let's go, we're going to get, we got French fries and Cokes all around, right? That, that, would, that would happen. But if you, took a group to, if you took a group to the Raptors game and you didn't win the 50-50 draw, you might not be so generous to buy all those things. Right? Man, Valentine's Day is coming up. It's easy to be loving and thoughtful on Valentine's Day, isn't it? Like the whole world stops and reminds you, be loving today. <laughs> 
a truly loving person will be loving on Thursday, February 1st, not just Thursday, February the 14th. A loving person is loving because they are. A generous person is generous because they are. Kindness, gentleness are actually all better expressed when life is storming than when life isn't storming. If, if those are true qualities that come out through you, they should come out through you in all seasons of life because those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Peace and kindness and gentleness and goodness. Those are things that the Holy Spirit wants to show you and wants to demonstrate through you. And if we are regularly hearing him and spreading that out, then that is a model of who we are as a person of faith. That kind of stability is actually underrated. Do you, do you have a person that you turn to in the moments of crisis? I mean, we would say, yes, I, uh, I turn to God. But do you have, like, a person in your life that you would say, this person is my rock, this person is my steady person? Do you have a person? Anybody? You, have, you don't have to name them, but do you have a Yeah, you go, I know who I turn to in my life when life starts to storm. I bet that person is a steady person. I bet you know the kind of response that you're going to get from that person. We say that way. I want to be around the fun person, the party person. They're, like, they're way up and they're, sometimes they're down, but, sometimes, but, but man, they create the party really well. Those kind of people are really fun to have around except when you hit crisis. And you're like, I actually don't want to just have somebody who just brings me way up and there might bring me way down. I want somebody that's actually really, really steady in that moment. Peter. We see in, this, uh, we, in Peter's life, Peter was the guy, on another day, he would step out onto this same lake, he would step out, and he would, and, and he would see Jesus coming to them on, on, on the lake and say, Lord, if that's you, call me to come out in the water. And then he takes a step out onto the water. And, and Peter was the first one who, who said, uh, who, do, who do you say that I am, guys? And Peter said, well, we say that you're the Messiah. He was the first one to ever publicly uh, speak that out. But then in the same sentence, Peter challenged Jesus and, uh, and Jesus had to look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. Peter was one of those up and down people. We, last week we talked about how when, when he thought Jesus' life was being threatened, he cut off somebody's ear. Peter had these big high, high moments and the low, low moments where he was called Satan and, and Jesus said, hey, put the sword away. You don't want to be that kind of person. Deep, genuine faith is not rocked by the storm. And actually, we see this later in Peter's life. He can be arrested, and he can be brought in front of rulers, and he can just have the stability. That kind of faith, that stable faith, is the faith that we're looking for. Lord, I have learned to hear you and see you in everyday situations in my life. I hear you when I drive. I hear you when I eat. I hear you when I'm in church. I hear you when I'm in small group. I hear you when I'm at work. And when I walk into the storm, I'm just going to hear you the same way. And I'm just going to believe that you're going to show me what I'm supposed to do in the same way. And a person of faith can learn to be stable as a rock, even in the storm. And our prayers can represent that. Say, Lord, I trust you in the good and I trust you in the bad. So lead me through this season of storm. Here's the great news. If you're in the season of a storm, and with this I'm going to ask our team to come back, is that storms are faith-building moments for all of us. We're going to pray for people this morning because we know that on a Sunday like this and when we gather together, you may be in the midst of a season of a storm. And we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God answers some requests with no and not yet. And we also know that God answers some prayers with yes. And he, and, and he says, in this moment, I will be your healer. In this moment, I will be your rock. In this moment, I will give you what you need.
And what we're going to pray this morning with our team is that we're, we're just going to pray God's kingdom into people's lives. And we know what the principles of God's kingdom are. They're, 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 they're truth and they're, and, and they're peace. And there's strength when we're weak. And there's life where there's death. And there's peace in chaos. These, these are the realities of God's kingdom in every storm that we face. And there's, and there's a difference between hearing truth, understanding truth, and then living truth. I want to go back to the chronological timeline in Jesus' life. Jesus had three years of ministry that was recorded in the gospel. He lived to be 33 years old. Only three years of ministry were recorded. As we get to this story in Matthew 8, he's in year two. And year two was also the time when he taught the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know if you know the Sermon on the Mount, but it's, it's captured for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's, it's about halfway through, maybe more than halfway through his time on earth uh, or his ministry time on earth. And it, it records some of the most foundational teaching of how to live as a Christian. E- even the Lord's Prayer comes from this section. But he comes to the topic of worry as this one day that he's teaching on the side of the hill. And he gets to the Beatitudes and he says, the people who have the biggest needs are the most blessed. The people who are poor, the people who are sad, the people who are persecuted, those are the people, people who are most blessed. And he says, don't worry about the earthly things. Don't, don't, he says, don't even worry about your life. Just rest in God's spirit and experience his blessing. And then he asks this question to everybody who's gathered there that day. He says, can worry add a single day to your life? Can, can worrying about this situation add a day to your life? And the answer, of course, was no. So he says, don't, don't even worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about anything in your life. This message was probably spoken to the people, including the disciples, we think maybe a month before they got onto the storm. Don't even worry about your life. What can worry add to your life? Can worry even add a single day? They knew this truth. And then they entered one of the storms of life. And what do they do? We're going to die! <laughs> Let me ask this question for those who are, who are entering a season of storm or in the midst of a season of storm. Are you in full-out panic like the disciples are? Or would you trust that God would walk you through the season and be your peace in the chaos? There's a difference between knowing truth and living truth. You know, to finish that story in case, in case you hadn't heard that story before, someone, somebody from our church who had a little bit of insight into some, some, somehow the body works and just had a different perspective on it um, was in, in service one day as I, was, as, as I was sharing this and God put a word on her heart and said, you know, I, I think there's something physical going on but there, I think there's also something, something in, inside going on. And I've been praying about this, and I just, I, I, I want to make sure that this works for you, but I just want to give you, oh, I just want to give you a word. And as we began to pray, and do some physical treatments, but as we began to pray, we saw God work a miracle, both physically and emotionally in Hope's life. Because we didn't have a panic, we just said, we're going to continue to pray every day. And we're going to trust that the body of Christ will be the body of Christ, and we'll pray for each other. And we're going to believe that God will walk us through this season of storm and give us understanding. And God, whatever it is. And that's such a minor storm compared to what some people are going through, but the principle remains the same. What do you do in those seasons? 
we've been reminded over this past month that prayer should be our regular response, both in the calm and both in the storm. We know it, but will we live it? We're going to respond this morning. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.